What's up, MLB Morning Coffee listeners? We have our first sponsor. Please welcome to the show, Sit Stay Paul. Is there a better feeling than walking through the door and seeing your dog so excited to see you? There really is nothing better than a happy, healthy dog. Sit Stay Paul, Boston-based dog treat company, focused on all natural, healthy ingredients, is dedicated to helping dogs live happier, healthier lives. At Sit Stay Paw, they treat dogs as part of the family and understand you do too. That's why they use the highest quality all-natural ingredients in each dog treat. Each recipe has been developed along board-certified veterinary nutritionists and is packed with the flavors your dog loves and the nutrition they need. Stocking stuffer ideas? Do your friends have dogs? Sit Stay Paw's Blueberry Pancake Chewies are made with real blueberries full of antioxidants, fiber, and vitamin C and K the perfect stocking stuffer dip for your friendly pooch. Their carob chip chewies are a natural sweet treat your dog will love, full of vitamins A, B, D, calcium, iron, magnesium, everything your dog needs. For the next four weeks, listeners can go to sitstaypaw.com. That's www.sitstaypaw.com. And on Facebook and Instagram, at sitstaypaw. And use code MLBCOFFEE. That's right, MLBCOFFEE. For 10% off your first order. Take a pic, throw it on the gram, get your dog on the Sit Stay Paw Instagram. Sit Stay Paw, go get your dog a treat. Now, on with the show. This is MLB Morning Coffee from the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. Thank you so much for being a part of our program today. My name is Greg Moraz. I am the host of this program. As always, I have considered adding in a guest host at times when I want to take a show off or not do a show for a little while, but I am the guy that you're stuck with. This is my podcast, my show, so deal with it. <laughs> oh, sometimes I love joking with the people. We are brought to you by Sit Stay Paw. Go to sitstaypaw.com, enter the code MLBCOFFEE at checkout, and receive 10% off of your first order. That's sitstaypaw.com, enter the code MLBCOFFEE at checkout for 10% off of your first order. All right, now on to some business. We have some free agent signings to talk about. We have a new general manager to talk about. We also have a scenario in a different sport that I feel like is setting a bad precedent for what MLB could end up doing. I'll talk about that at the end of the show, and I think that's going to be one of our main topics. We'll start off with the Daily Grounds and the signing of Adam Eaton by the Chicago White Sox. After trading him away to the Washington Nationals after the 2016 season for Lucas Giolito, Dane Dunning, and Reynaldo Lopez, the White Sox have brought back outfielder Adam Eaton on a one-year, $8 million contract to fill the void in right field left by Nomar Mazzara, who was non-tendered. Adam Eaton spent parts of three seasons with the Chicago White Sox from 2014 to 2016. In 2016, he had his best year, hitting 284 with a 362 on-base percentage, 14 homers, and 59 RBI, along with an American League high nine triples. 
He finished 19th in American League MVP voting, which is impressive considering he's not an MVP type of guy. He was traded to the Washington Nationals, where he played just 23 games in 2017. His best season in Washington came in 2019, the year that the Nats won the World Series. In fact, in each of his other three years with Washington, he didn't play over 100 games, including this past year where he played in 41 games, but the season was only 60 games. In 2019, Adam Eaton hit 279 with a 365 on base, 15 homers a career high, and 49 RBI, which was 10 below a career high, which he set in 2016. Adam Eaton is a guy they call Spanky because they see him as a spark plug, but in the Drake and Adam LaRoche controversy in 2016, Adam Eaton was very outspoken about his support of having Drake LaRoche, the son of Adam LaRoche, in the White Sox clubhouse. It ultimately led Adam LaRoche to retire because nobody else wanted Drake LaRoche in the clubhouse as much as Adam LaRoche had him in the clubhouse, but Adam Eaton was very vocal in his support of Drake LaRoche being in the clubhouse and called him a team leader. A lot of people are upset about this because they believe it is going to disrupt the chemistry that has been a part of the White Sox clubhouse since the start of the 2019 season where they vowed to hashtag change the game. A lot of people are very much questioning what the White Sox culture is going to be like in the clubhouse with Tony La Russa as the manager now. They question it even more now that you bring somebody like an Adam Eaton back into the fold who, on his first day back in a White Sox uniform, called the White Sox flagship radio station to do an interview and hung up after 90 seconds. Yes, he hung up after 90 seconds after one of the hosts asked him about the relationship that Tony La Russa was going to have with the players. Adam Eaton is somebody that is very, very sensitive. And if Adam Eaton hears this, he'll probably send me a nasty DM about why I'm overly criticizing him and why I have no right to speak about what I'm speaking of. Bottom line for the White Sox, they needed to upgrade in the outfield, but this is not the guy that you wanted to bring back into the fold. Maybe this was Kenny Williams trumping Rick Hahn or Jerry Reinsdorf trumping Rick Hahn in bringing back Adam Eaton. I don't like the signing, and many White Sox fans don't like it either. The Philadelphia Phillies are finalizing a contract with Dave Dombrowski to be their first ever president of baseball operations. Dombrowski was signed to a four-year, $20 million contract to take over the front office of the Phillies. Dombrowski was most recently the president of baseball operations with the Boston Red Sox, where he won the World Series with them in 2018. Dombrowski was fired in the middle of the 2019 season. He was most notably the GM for the Detroit Tigers from 2002 until 2015. He's also in the past been the GM of the Florida Marlins and has also been the GM of the Montreal Expos. Here's the thing about Dave Dombrowski. He is going to spend. He is going to be aggressive. He is going to put your team in a position to where you can win now. He's not afraid to open up the pocketbooks. He is not afraid to make moves that a lot of conservative general managers wouldn't make because he figures, let's go all in, let's go for it. Dave Dombrowski has built winners. He built a winning team with the Florida Marlins. He built a consistent competitor with the Detroit Tigers. And he built a World Series champion with the Boston Red Sox. But why does Dave Dombrowski not hold on to jobs? It's because he signs contracts that get teams a lot further over their skis than they want to be. My biggest problem with Dave Dombrowski is that he spends too aggressively and teams have to pay for it later. 
It is my belief, and there are a lot of people that probably don't agree with me in this regard, but it is my belief that Dave Dombrowski giving J.D. Martinez the contract that he did in Boston is the reason why the Red Sox did not give the money that they wanted to or needed to to Mookie Betts and why they eventually traded him away. Granted, it was Heim Bloom that traded him and not Dave Dombrowski, but there wasn't enough money left over in the Red Sox proverbial pocketbook, even though they still have the money to do really whatever they want. It's the Boston Red Sox. It's an iconic brand. They print money. They weren't able to keep Mookie Betts because Dave Dombrowski gave out a huge contract to J.D. Martinez. Expect the Phillies to make smart moves. Expect the Phillies to spend a lot of money. And they were spending a lot of money before. There's no question about that. How Dave Dombrowski fits into baseball in 2020 is a lot different than most front offices. He is not as analytically based. He is not a guy that is going to look at a million different spreadsheets. He's a guy that is going to look at the pure numbers and put the best players on the field based on a lot of the traditional numbers and by the eye test. That is what Dave Dombrowski is. He's an old-school general manager who wants to win in an old-school way. Now, a lot of people are going to say, well, the 2018 Red Sox were a bastion of analytics. You can use analytics and also acquire and develop players in an old-school way. That is who I believe Dave Dombrowski is, and that is why I believe he will be successful in Philadelphia. I may receive a lot of blowback for that comment, but I am confident in my assessment that Dave Dombrowski will make the Phillies competitive, even if he has to spend way more money than necessary to do so. Expect success in Philadelphia in the not-too-distant future. Yesterday saw the naming of the Comeback Players of the Year Award. In the American League, it was Royals catcher Salvador Perez, and in the National League, it was Rockies reliever Daniel Bard. Here's what's significant about both of these. Salvador Perez did not play at all in 2019 because of Tommy John surgery. Perez in 2020 hit 333 with 11 homers, 32 RBI, and a 986 OPS. He had career highs in batting average, OPS, and slugging percentage. His OPS at 986, slugging percentage at 633. Daniel Bard gets the National League Comeback Player of the Year award. In 24 and two-thirds innings, he had a 3.65 ERA, 27 strikeouts, 10 walks, and 6 saves. Daniel Bard had not pitched in the major leagues since 2013 with the Boston Red Sox. He was once a fireballer and then ended up suffering enough injuries to force him to retire after the 2017 season. He spent two seasons as a player mentor in the Diamondbacks organization and then decided to make his improbable comeback. He made the Rockies roster out of spring training and subsequently became their closer. Congrats to both of these guys, especially to Daniel Bard. I mean, Pitching in the big leagues seven years after you last did so is pretty remarkable, and the fact that he might be here to stay if he stays healthy is pretty impressive in itself. Congrats to you, Daniel Bard. Congrats to one of the all-time good guys in baseball, Salvador Perez, on winning the AL and NL Comeback Player of the Year awards. This news is a little bit old, but the Texas Rangers have named former 6'10 big league right-hander Chris Young as their new general manager, succeeding John Daniels, who moves into the president of baseball operations role. 
Chris Young was previously the head of disciplinary action for MLB operations. He was promoted to the senior vice president of MLB operations, replacing Joe Torre in February of 2020. Young is a smart guy. He played baseball at Princeton. He's a very tall guy. He is six foot ten. He debuted in the big leagues with the Rangers in 2004. He was traded to the Padres in 2006, spent 2006 to 2010 with the Padres, 2011 and 2012 with the Mets, often 2013 dealing with injury with the Mariners in 2014, and wrapped up his career with the Kansas City Royals from 2015 to 2017. In his first act as Rangers general manager, he acquired Nate Lowe from the Tampa Bay Rays in exchange for minor league catcher and outfielder Heriberto Hernandez, along with several other players that were included in the deal. Lowe is a guy that more than likely was squeezed out of Tampa Bay because they have a lot more options at first base, including Mike Brasso, Yandy Diaz, and G-Man Choi. Lowe is a guy that provides some versatility. He hit 224 this past year with four homers and 11 RBI in just 21 games. He has a 251 career average with 11 homers and 30 RBI in two career seasons. He can play both corners. Other players involved in the trade include minor league infielder Oslevis Basabe and minor league outfielder Alexander Ovias, who go from Texas to Tampa Bay. The Rangers obtained Jake Gunther, a minor league first baseman, and a player to be named later. I love player to be named later. He's probably one of my favorite players in all of baseball, and he also seems to be involved in a heck of a lot of trades. <laughs> I kid, I kid, because I care. So yes, that's the deal. Nate Lowe, now a part of the Texas Rangers. And by the way, for anybody that covers the Tampa Bay Rays and has trouble with pronunciations, this is a huge sigh of relief. You had Nate Lowe and Brandon Lau, who had last names that were spelled the same, but pronounced differently. Why? I have absolutely no idea. But that's the deal. Tampa Bay Rays fans, you don't have to worry about that pronunciation snafu anymore. I'm going to be pretty short on this next topic. The MLB Rule 5 draft was yesterday. The Rule 5 draft is a selection of unprotected players from other teams' rosters. There is a Major League portion and a AAA portion. The AAA portion, if you take the player, you have to play him at, I believe, a level above the whole year from where he actually was assigned. At the Major League level, you have to keep the guy on your roster the entire year or offer him back to the club that you took him from. You see a lot of guys stashed in the back ends of bullpens or as backup catchers as Rule 5 picks because they're guys that they want to develop for the future but aren't necessarily ready for the big leagues yet. How is one player considered Rule 5 eligible? I explain. If you are not on a 40-man roster, you are Rule 5 eligible if A, you are a high school drafted player and you have been in that organization for at least five years. That also applies to international prospects on that five-year timeline. Or B, if you are a college drafted player and you have been in the system for at least four years and are not on the 40-man roster. The Rule 5 draft is essentially a way for teams to take a risk on a player in another organization to be a part of their Major League roster right now. A lot of these players are not ready, but teams find creative ways in order to keep that player in their organization. Such as, if a player ends up getting hurt and you put him on the disabled list, 
he is effectively still a part of your organization as long as he was on your 40-man roster for X amount of days. A lot of the Rule 5 contingencies are confusing, and a lot of teams can actually keep their Rule 5 pick if the team they took them from doesn't want them back. I think there's a certain contractual fee that they have to pay that other club in order to keep a player that they weren't going to keep on the 40-man roster. It's very confusing. Go to MLB.com and take a look at some of the Rule 5 picks. I'm just going to highlight two that I think are absolutely fascinating. The first is in the AAA portion, Brett Graves selected by the A's from the Marlins in the AAA portion. That means that Graves does not have to be on the A's big league roster. Why is this important? Because in 2017, the Marlins selected Brett Graves from the A's in the big league portion. So Graves was drafted by the A's, developed by the A's, Rule 5 by the Marlins, then the Marlins don't have him on the 40-man roster three years later, and he gets Rule 5 in the AAA level by the team that originally drafted him. The other one also involves the A's and their selection of Danny Jimenez from the Toronto Blue Jays. Why is this fascinating? Because Danny Jimenez was drafted by the Giants in the Rule 5 last year, made two appearances with San Francisco before he was returned to Toronto. So he comes back to the Bay Area in the Rule 5 draft for the second straight year and goes to the team across the Bay. I didn't realize you could be drafted twice, but if you're not on the 40-man roster, I guess you're eligible regardless. So yeah, that's the Rule 5 draft for you. Go look up the list of players. If there's somebody that got picked up by a team that you like, Go research them. Go to their MILB.com player page. See what type of statistics they've put up. See what kind of player they are. And then understand how they fit into what your club is trying to do in 2021 and moving forward. I love the Rule 5 draft because I am a prospect nut. But I understand how a lot of people find it confusing because they don't understand necessarily how the Rule 5 draft actually works. Our final segment of the Daily Grounds today comes courtesy of the broadcasting world, and I want to actually highlight one thing that I did not highlight last week before I get into the 2021 Ford Seafrick Award winner. Cubs TV broadcaster Len Casper decided to make a shocking move by going to the Chicago White Sox radio booth. A lot of people have really expunged this at end over the last week, but Len Casper basically said... He loves radio. He grew up in Michigan listening to Ernie Harwell on Detroit Tigers radio and said he wanted to be a part of a radio booth, and that's why he decided to make the move off of Cubs television. So congrats to Len Casper in that regard for being able to live out a childhood dream of being the lead radio play-by-play man in a Major League Baseball broadcast booth. The Cubs fans are going to miss him. The White Sox fans are going to love him. But the 2021 Ford C. Frick Award winner is the legendary football voice Al Michaels. So people are probably wondering, how does somebody like Al Michaels get an award that is specifically tailored to baseball broadcasters? This is effectively putting him in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Al Michaels hasn't done baseball since the early 1990s. He's been a football guy. He did the Olympics for a long time. He has been the voice of NBC's Sunday Night Football for over 15 years. He was the voice of ABC's Monday Night Football forever. But Al Michaels started off as a big baseball guy. He did a lot of baseball 
in the early 70s all the way up until the late 90s. Al Michaels actually got his career started with the now-defunct Hawaii Islanders of the Pacific Coast League back in the late 1960s. So Al Michaels is a guy that has done baseball for a long time. He just hasn't done it in a long time. Probably the most significant moment for Al Michaels in his baseball broadcasting career was before Game 3 of the 1989 World Series between the San Francisco Giants and the Oakland A's at Candlestick Park when the Loma Prieta earthquake happened and everybody could hear him saying that we're having an earthquake before the signal for ABC gets knocked out and they come back with that shot of Jose Canseco running across the field and everybody in absolute chaos at the stick. Congratulations to Al Michaels on being inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame as the 2021 Ford C. Frick Award winner. So that is today's edition of the Daily Grounds. I'm going to try and format it like that moving forward and then have one central topic that we're going to talk about following the Daily Grounds. My topic today comes from the hockey world. But I think that it's relevant because you could see Major League Baseball doing something similar. As many people know, COVID is getting really bad in the United States again. People are having to stay indoors because of the weather. Gatherings over Thanksgiving have caused a big COVID spike. We had a COVID death rate two days ago that had more people die because of COVID than died on 9-11. Over 3,000 people two days ago died from COVID. So the vaccine is coming, but the vaccine is going to be distributed to people who need it the most first. That's going to be first responders, the elderly, and elderly in nursing homes. So I guess three first. Those are the highest priorities. The first responders, the nurses, the doctors, the people on the front lines, they need the vaccine first. Then it's the elderly that need the vaccine because the elderly are more susceptible to COVID and more susceptible to having COVID symptoms and thereby dying. I take this from Craig Calcaterra's Cup of Coffee newsletter. He puts a tweet out in his newsletter from John Shannon, who's an NHL reporter. John Shannon says this, Source confirms that the NHL is planning the private purchase of a COVID vaccine for all constituents involved in the potential upcoming season. Calcaterra then writes that Shannon later updated the tweet. This is verbatim, quote, Shannon later updated that tweet saying that the NHL did not mean that it would buy the vaccine before the players would have been able to get it anyway, but that makes no sense given the timing of the NHL season and Shannon's reference in his initial report to the upcoming season. These guys would normally not qualify for the vaccine until spring. The follow-up tweet definitely sounded like damage control after people freaked out at the first one. Either way, I figured this was coming as earlier yesterday. This tweet crossed my radar, and this tweet that Calcaterra puts in there is from a Rick Westhead. Doctors say they suspect pro sports leagues are exploring private purchases of COVID-19 vaccines and the Public Health Agency of Canada tells me it can't stop pharma companies from selling their vaccines to a, quote, private enterprise. This is the problem that we are now going to be dealing with when it comes to Major League Baseball versus how they are perceived in society. We can all agree that while we love sports, pro and collegiate, there are people that need a COVID vaccine more than professional and collegiate athletes. So what you're telling me here 
is that if the NHL goes through with this, they are going to take vaccine doses away from people that actually need them because it's more important for us to play sports. Look, there has been a lot of resources poured in by these pro sports leagues and by collegiate conferences to testing. Major League Baseball was testing their players every other day during the season. The NFL tests their players every day. College conferences test their players every day or every other day, depending on the conference. I had to wait five days to get a COVID test because I got exposed to somebody with COVID. Now, I waited for that test because of the incubation period. And by the way, I'm feeling fine right now. I have no symptoms. This is day five of my self-isolation, which begs the question, why have I not been doing more shows? And my answer to that is simply... I've got other stuff that I got to do. I got to do my job. So I don't have to go to work yet today. I'm working at home. So I decided I would put on an episode today after I went and did my COVID test. So this is MLB morning coffee, slightly in the morning, slightly in the afternoon. My underlying point here, though, is that people like me have to wait in order to get a COVID test. I drove 20 miles to get one. My five nearest testing sites didn't have any appointments available for the next week. So I drove 20 minutes away and 20 minutes back. There are people that have had to drive further. I had to drive that distance to get a COVID test, which, by the way, takes all of about 30 seconds. You swab the thing inside your nose on one side 10 times, and you swab it in circles in your other nostril 10 times. You put it in the vial, roll up the window, hand it to the technician, and you're on your way. I never had to leave my car. But the thing that comes across as tone deaf is that while people are still struggling to get access to COVID tests, all of these sports leagues are being able to test their players daily because they have the money to do so. This is the dictionary definition of what happens in a free enterprise society where capitalism rules overall. Look, I'm not saying that I'm a communist. I'm far from a communist. I believe in free enterprise, but I also believe in doing what is right for the common man and what is right for the good of society. And that is everybody has equal access to medical supplies and medical testing, which means that it is disgraceful that any league, whether it be the NHL, Major League Baseball, the NFL, any NCAA conference, it is disgraceful that they should even think about purchasing vaccines when there are millions of people in society that need it more than professional athletes. I saw that story and said, well, it's not directly related to Major League Baseball, but couldn't you see that happening? Couldn't you see Rob Manfred saying, we're going to buy a dose of the vaccine for everybody on a 40-man roster plus coaches and staff so that we can have a 2021 Major League Baseball season uninterrupted. How are you going to increase revenues if you can't have full stands of people? You're going to rely on television revenue again. What this does is ensures that your players are healthy. But it's pretty damn tone deaf to me that sports leagues are willing to do this when people need the vaccine more than athletes do And when the vaccine is in short enough supply to where it could cost lives if you vaccinate athletes before you vaccinate first responders and frontline workers that actually need the vaccine. 
That's all I'm saying. I'm not trying to say that these players don't deserve the vaccine. I'm just saying that they are not a priority for any form of vaccination. They should get the vaccine when everybody else does. That's my opinion. The people who need it the most should get it first. The people that don't need it are the ones that should get it last. It's pretty damn simple in that estimation. But let's see what the NHL ends up doing, and let's see if Major League Baseball ends up having a similar viewpoint in regards to vaccine purchasing. People are not happy with Major League Baseball right now. They're going to be even unhappier if MLB decides to pull this off. And if they do, be prepared for the backlash, Major League Baseball. And Rob Manfred, you're going to have to come to the forefront and answer for your actions. This has been another presentation of MLB Morning Coffee, a production of the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. We are, as always, brought to you by Sit, Stay, Paw. Sit, Stay, Paw. Go to sitstaypaw.com, enter the code MLBCOFFEE at checkout, and receive 10% off of your first order. That's sitstaypaw.com. Use promo code MLBCOFFEE at checkout. Thanks again for listening to this edition of MLB Morning Coffee. Write a review, leave a rating, subscribe. We are a production of the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. Have a great rest of your day. Have a great weekend, and we will talk to you next time.